all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. <laughs> and I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us on Insta, X, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, Threads, Blue Sky, at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group, our subreddit, and our Discord. Do all of those things. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Nailed it. <laughs> I, I, I said sad hitter because you got some sad news. Well, not sad news. I mean, it's annoying news. <laughs> annoying is what it news. Is. Yes. That due to a weather event. Yeah, the Bills game has been pushed back to Monday. I literally just found this out like a minute ago. <laughs> We're recording this Saturday <laughs> on the yeah. 14th. So, yeah. So, my thing is. Bummer. It's probably going to be like a three or four o'clock game. And I was planning on going to the Hurricanes game on Monday, and which, it, which is a three o'clock game. And it's like your birthday weekend-ish since your well, it's just, on I a Tuesday. It's just I haven't been to a game in so long. Yeah, but it's so also it's, like this well, I don't, part of your birthday celebration, I, right? Well, I guess. I don't do like the birthday weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But uh, it was just... Uh, we we get MLK Day off mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. I guess they... Now that I think about it, the Canes usually do a matinee game on Martin Luther King Day. Really? Uh, I think okay. they always have. Do they do it on President's Day, too? I think they've alternated between the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I haven't been to a Canes game in a long time because I work second shift. Yeah. And so it's seemingly whenever they are in town, like, it's just when I'm working. Because um, I work every other weekend, too. But, They're playing uh, tonight. Yeah, they are. Against the Penguins. Yes. I know well, because I drove past the stadium. No, I know. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. Enough, I'm sure this is enough about yeah, to everybody. <laughs> like, who fucking cares. But anyway, I haven't been to a Canes game in a while. It sucks that they moved the Bills game because yeah. I figured I'd get all the weekend stress out of the way by like four thirty tomorrow. Yeah. So now it's gonna last <laughs> at least another twenty four hours. And it's do or die stress too. Mm-hmm. So that's tough. And knowing how they played this year, they're gonna play down to Pittsburgh and they'll still win, but mm-hmm. give everybody like three people will die watching the game. <laughs> For sure. Please don't be one of them. I'll, I'll try not to be, but yeah. There are going to be like some 70-year-olds watching this shit tomorrow that they're just not going to make it. <laughs> See, football kills, folks. It certainly can. Um, On a more related to the podcast sort... What was that? And we're back. Demetrius managed to knock a pizza bucket, box and plate over. Yes. So that was fun. Yeah. Anyway, more related to the podcast, um, apparently, so I have made an appointment to donate blood for the first time. I have never donated blood. I absolutely should have by now, but I haven't, but I am. I'm going to. I'm very lucky my employer offers, like, basically free time off to go do that. So I get not only time to donate blood, but to recover afterwards. Because I know that, you know, it can mess with your blood sugar and stuff. That's why they give you, you know, juice and cookie and all that. Um, But when I was going to make the appointment with the American Red Cross, I saw apparently 
um, they're at extremely low levels of blood right now. Like, there's a shortage in mm-hmm. blood supply. So, basically, just kind of a PSA. I'll let you, I'll let everybody know how it went for me. Um, but a PSA that if you qualify to give blood, you know, there are certain criteria uh, for that. Um, and you're able to, because I know it's not necessarily, it, it is a privilege to be able to, you know, have the time to do it, have the transportation to do it. I fully recognize that then I just encourage everybody to consider uh, donating blood. And you can just go to the Red Cross's website, and it's pretty easy to make an appointment and everything. So just encourage everybody to consider it, because um, pretty much every disaster we've covered, probably somebody has gotten a blood transfusion. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. at least anyone that anybody survived. Mm-hmm. So, and not just in cases of emergency, but also just like for medical treatments too. People need blood sometimes. So, super important to help out where we can and when we can. So, that's all. And PSA. (laughs) So, are we ready? We are. We are. Are we really though? I I believe so. So, today we are going back to our... To the future. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to what was it 1995 or whatever what, what year was it that they went to the future in oh back to the future um, too? uh 2015 oh wow okay well i was way off <laughs> yeah 2015 yeah that's right because i remember 30 years in the past 30 years in the future gotcha yeah um and i remember when it actually was that date people put it all over facebook yes stuff. yeah like this was the day like right that, uh... <laughs> that marty and doc went <laughs> yes. forward to mm-hmm. yeah so, but we are going back to our roots as a podcast. So, oh, okay. if you recall, what we did is our first topic. Uh, oh, um, the fire. The, mm-hmm. um, my God. My... <laughs> station. Yes. Yes. The station nightclub mm-hmm. fire. Yes. Yep. Well, this is a really interesting one. And first off, a big shout out to Jeremy for recommend or for suggesting this topic because I wouldn't have known of this otherwise. This is the story of the E2 nightclub disaster. Is this recent? I was about to say, on February 17th, 2003, 3 days before the station nightclub fire. Exactly three, because that was February 20th, 2003. Mm -hmm. This is three, exactly three days before. Another disaster took place in a nightclub in the United States. 21 people died and over 50 others were injured when an attempt to break up a fight caused a stampede out of the E2 nightclub in the South Loop neighborhood of Chicago. No, I don't think I have heard about this. I had not either. If Jeremy hadn't suggested it, I'd have never even heard of it. Uh, Sources are ABC7 Chicago, the Chicago Tribune, Forest Park Review, the New York Times, Time Out, and WGN. Well, this is really going to suck. It is. It it fully is. (laughs) So, yay. Thanks, Jeremy. (laughs) Um, I find it really remarkable that two major nightclub disasters happen so close to each other. Three days apart. Like, that's pretty wild. And I think because the, well, we'll how one of them got, obviously, bit. how one of them got obviously so much more publicity. Yes. 
And part of that, I think, is the death toll. There was a hundred people who died. There were a lot. It's almost five times the number. And a fire is much more of a... I don't want to say traumatic. Not not anything Mm -hmm. is less or more... But it's more sensational than a fight started and then somehow, like, a crowd crush happened. It also is a lot easier to blame the victims when it seems like... Oh, just the crowd got... Uh, (laughs) No, Dave, we're recording. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. When, um, uh, like, a crowd gets out of control and that results in deaths, people can ascribe, like, blame to the crowd in some sense versus a fire... But that was people might that find was, people. That was the other thing. The fire in the in the station nightclub fire was easy to put blame on somebody yes. because somebody let off uh, pyrotechnics when they should sure. have been. What what I'm saying. Well, we'll get to it. There's a couple reasons why I personally think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little. I'm not conspiracy theory, but a little just like side eye at the media in this sure. particular story for a couple reasons. We'll get to sure. it, but. Um, and as we'll find out, there were plenty of issues surrounding safety in this club, too, just like there was in the station. So, I have been to Chicago, but only a couple of times. I definitely don't have a great handle on its geography. So, I had to... It took me a second because some sort of, This is another thing about this, this particular disaster. There were some differences in fact. So it was a little tricky in in various sources. It was a little tricky to get a handle on some of the details. But anyway, some sources said that uh, this club was on the south side and others said it was in the South Loop neighborhood. Um, It turns out they're both quite close to each other geographically, but there is a difference between them. And the club was definitely in South Loop. Uh, also, our Chicago listeners, like Mark on our Facebook group, I know is from Chicago, pretty sure, you know, feel free to chime in with any corrections. But the Chicago Loop is basically like the heart of downtown Chicago. Okay. Um, so Chicago's on Lake Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. That's on the east side of the city. And the Loop is the home of most of Chicago's skyscrapers, including Willis Tower, where Die Hard takes place. So it's like that... Get it? Willis, Bruce Willis. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So that's like the the part of Chicago that they always show in the media, pretty much. Yes. Like that little... Yes. Because that part of downtown does look pretty cool. It is cool. It is really cool. I'm I'm guessing, although I didn't look at Navy Pier is in that area, too. That's a pretty famous place. Um, We definitely need to go to... I think you really like Chicago. It's a fun place. So we'll just go... Um, during a milder weather month. <laughs> oh yeah, we're going. Winter. Yes, we're definitely going in the summer, and for a Cubs game too. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and Wrigley Field is just like there. You just like turn and see it. Like, no oh, there it is oh. in the middle of downtown. Yeah. Um. So South Loop is south of Ida B. Wells Drive, between the lake and the Chicago River, which is what they die on St. Patrick's Day. They die right. green, you know. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So just south of South Loop is the South Side. So that's why it's kind of understandable if people get it mixed up in stories a little bit. But the actual location of E2 was in the South Loop at 2347 Michigan Avenue near the intersection of Michigan Avenue and East 23rd Street. It was on the second floor 
above a steak and seafood restaurant called Epitome. And this was like a, a dual business. It was owned by the same people, the restaurant on the bottom and the club on the top. Um, the capacity of the club for fire regulation purposes included the capacity of the restaurant. So um, it gets a little... The capacity is a whole is a whole other thing that gets a little murky, but the ent entire space, the restaurant and the club, was around sixteen thousand square feet, split equally between the two floors. So an eight thousand foot restaurant on the first floor, eight thousand foot club on the second. Um, the New York Times said that at the time of this disaster, that E two was known for its quote raucous dance parties, end quote, and that it drew, I was gonna say, yeah. quote, the rowdy younger set, yeah. end quote. Um, and at this point, I think it's important to stop for a second. This is where I first got, started feeling icky about how the media was covering some of this. So raucous dance parties, <laughs> rowdy younger set. It's a fucking dance club. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Do you think it's like, Old men in ties and, you know, co sports coats? Like, what? It, it sounds like really old fuddy-duddies. The Sinatra boys are here. <laughs> right? They've come to claim this like dance floor. Dean Martin tonight at E2. No. Hey, you woman, who are you dancing with? You're dancing with me now. <laughs> it's a really weird thing to say about a nightclub. I, I mean, think. yeah, it's like, what else could it be? Like, see, it made me just think of this, this uh, club we used to go to when I lived in Greenville. <laughs> Almost sounds like the exact what same as this. What was it called? So I'm trying to remember. Okay. I'll see some of my... I'll, I'll have to bring that up. I'm like, what the fuck was the name mm -hmm. of that place? Because mm -hmm. it was brand new. Like, it became... It, it opened, like, like right after I turned 21. Like, two months oh, okay. after I turned... So it was, like, the hot new club for... So 25 years ago? Jesus Christ. Almost 26. 26. <laughs> <laughs> but um it used to be like i remember it used to be um uh, a bowling alley okay it was a closed down bowling alley and they turned it into a fucking nightclub did they incorporate the lanes and yes stuff? oh yeah oh, that's pretty cool yeah. that's actually um, a cool idea and there were levels and shit so mm -hmm. that's what it immediately when you describe mm -hmm. like man it reminds me of this place and everything was basically like in neon lights and shit yeah and you got a wristband right. which glowed in the dark mm-hmm and here's the funny thing. This girl I was dating at the time, mm -hmm. that's when I realized that she had had uh, false teeth in the front because they, <gasps> they, they glowed, glowed in the dark. <laughs> in the black light. <laughs> oh, poor thing. Well, I mean, I didn't say anything. I think she said something to me afterward, like, oh, by the way. That like, would be so embarrassing. <laughs> like, you're just but trying to live like, your life. But and... I didn't think anything of it at first. And my buddy was like, I didn't know your girlfriend had false teeth. <laughs> Either that or something. Was she raised in like <laughs> the Bikini Atoll or something? I don't think like, so. why else would she have Not that I'm aware of. We didn't right. date for very long, but uh, yeah, the Bikini Atoll never came up. But uh, but yeah, that that's like when you just that's it uh -huh. reminded me of all of that. <laughs> I mean, and that's that was what like at first I'm like, the fuck is the New York Times problem? <laughs> yeah. Like what else? Like, but here's here's. Did you have the the Chicago newspaper? The Tribune. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so here's the thing. Because there's the Tribune and there's the what the Sun Times or yes. something like mm -hmm. that. Um. So for the the Park Avenue building, um, episode we did recently, I subscribed to the New York Times because there was like a dollar a month deal for six months or whatever. I did that. 
Now I'm subscribed to the Chicago Tribune with like a similar deal. So now I have two major <laughs> so US newspapers. Right. I'm just gonna start collecting them. But um but here is what I started noticing like instantly. So I was reading like, you know, Raucous Dance Party's younger crowd. I'm like, okay, that's super weird. I looked at some pictures of the 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 night of the disaster right like of victims and and the cops and and the rescue workers and everything and it immediately clicked for me and i'm like oh okay this is why they're saying this so let's talk about the racial makeup of the uh, city of chicago okay i was trying okay yeah. yeah so from what i could tell just looking at the pictures, and this was confirmed after, you know, uh, reading by it, it appeared that, like, the people depicted as victims in, in this, uh, b- being assisted in this disaster and all the photos were, were black or darker-skinned people. And Chicago, as a city, is, like, relatively racially diverse. It really is. According... Well, all major cities pretty much are. Sure, but Chicago is yeah. actually... It's really interesting. According to the U.S. Census, as of 2022, there was an almost even mix of people who were black, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, and white. Like, hmm. in equal so like 33, measure. 33, 34. Basically, although there's another segment of the population, right, and who not an insignificant portion, who um, are of multiple races or... Um, Asian, Pacific Islander, other races aside from the ones that I mentioned, right? Um, and this this all sounds great, right? Because racial diversity, and not just racial diversity, but of course that's what we're discussing here, is incredibly important for a thriving community. It's That's great. It's great that this city is ethnically or racially diverse. But the problem seems, at least to me, that the city is still kind of segregated geographically now i'm not a sociologist i do not have expertise in this area i'm not even from chicago so i don't even have personal experience in any of this but i found a map from stephen frankel of the university of illinois urbana champaign it was from 2013 so it's like a decade ago it might be a little outdated but it's not like from the 60s or something And it shows the black population by census tract or basically like neighborhood, right? And I want you to see what you notice of the concentration of races, specifically black people, in Chicago. Well, it looks like they're they're all in the mostly predominantly in the southern part, and, and then a, some little, on the west side, yeah. right? So. Do you see how, like, there's very little, like, of the... So, so the darker col- darker blue color is a higher this demographic population of yeah. black people. Mm-hmm. And then the lighter colors <laughs> is a... None. Yeah. Are, are less of a concentration. Uh, uh, sometimes as little as 0 to 6.5%, right? right? This is very segregated. This is mm-hmm. really segregated. There's not much middle ground here. So I think this is one of those situations where on the whole of it, it sounds really good, right? Mm-hmm. That there's like a great uh, racial diversity mix of people. But when you look at where everybody is, but, you see how segregated it still is. But the crazier thing is when you span out like to the suburbs and shit. Oh, sure. It gets whiter and whiter. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I mean. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's. I I I think New York City winds up like that mm-hmm. in some areas. I mean, but part of it too is just. I mean, yeah, well, whatever. A lot of it is institutional. No, no, no. A ton of it is institutional. Sure it is. Um, I actually recommend the book The Color of Law. I've got it. Where where do I have it? I think I moved it. It's on one of these shelves anyway, but it's called The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America Mm -hmm. by Richard Rothstein. It was a really popular book when it came out. And it discusses um, redlining and stuff like that. Well, what I was going to say was uh, part of it, too, people were... Generation, generationally just priced out of certain areas so they could only really live in certain well, that's, areas of the yeah, city. And, and that's, then that's, that's part of that causes... institu- hmm? institutionalization. Yeah. After, uh, absolutely. So, And as a country, the United States has a long history of the systemic exclusion of black people from the housing market. And especially as housing, as like home ownership, is the middle class's only way to build wealth essentially it's it's our blue chip stock yes to be excluded from that market is a major blow to people and black people have historically been dealt that blow time and time again and it hasn't ended it's still going on so um but the reason i'm pointing all of this out is i think based on what i read it is very likely that race played a part in how this story was reported and com- like a- a- and how how it was reported and how it was received especially compared to the station which was in Rhode Island <laughs> yeah. in a rock concert with, with a bunch white of white people. people I don't think yes. a bunch I I, I want to say all yeah yeah so um that that's uh, I I think that I think that there was some bias showing pretty instantly in like the oh here's a raucous dance party with a rowdy younger set i think honestly i think it was completely coded for saying well here's a bunch of of black hooligans or something like that that's what it came across as to me Mm -hmm. and granted this is 20 years after the fact maybe we're more sensitive to stuff like this but i thought it was really gross and i didn't like it at all so um boo to the new york times for the chicago tribune didn't didn't really cover it like that but boo to the new york times and coastal elites or whatever for saying shit like that because i think that that was really unnecessary but um also it really makes sense that this club's um patrons were largely black this is a black neighborhood and um also it was a black owned business Mm -hmm. which causes a lot of issues down the road so that we will get to, but uh, E2 was owned by 48-year-old Dwayne Kyles, and he was assisted by Calvin Hollins Jr. Depending on the source, they call him a co-owner, but it sounded like maybe he wasn't. He was really just like a partner in other ventures, which is hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, He was either a co-owner, a consultant, or the club's manager. It's hard to tell. He was was part of the the team. Mm Mm-hmm. And what also rubbed me the wrong way in the depiction of the media of this whole thing was how Kyle's and Holland's were described. First of all, they were described physically, which I'm not sure why there was a need to describe a club owner physically, right? It's just like, here's the name of the person who owns this club. Here's their experience with the club, whatever. But no, the New York Times felt it necessary to say that Kyle's was known for wearing, quote, dark suits, cufflinks, and an earring. End quote. Well, I think part of that is also 
you've got to also think about this is print from sadly now 21 years ago yes i i get it it's a news newspapers and photos weren't as common in newspapers then and newspapers are hardly even around now so that's the old school journalism that's like how i was taught too of you describe everything. You, you give people theater of mind. That's all it is. That's fine. I'm just saying I think they were giving racially coded theater of the mind. Could have been doing that too. but um, They described Hollins as, quote, a quick-talking Natalie-dressed name dropper, okay. end quote. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Those sounds like you're... Ch- like, to point out some guy has I, an earring is really dumb, but whatever. Anyway, I I read into that as... This is pretty racist. Having been in advertising, I read into that as yeah, that sounds like a guy who owns a club. Because <laughs> I've because I've because I've met these people. <laughs> but what it does do is it buries some of the more interesting parts of these people, the Kyles and Hollins. Kyles was a former attorney. Hollins was a former Cook County Sheriff's officer. That's interesting. But it was I had to dig to find that out. It was more important that one guy had an earring and the other was dressed well like it was it's weird i think it's weird anyway these guys uh kyles and 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 hollins had met back in the early 80s they had had other like hospitality slash nightlife co-venture nightlife co-ventures before including a teen dance club called le mirage (laughs) (laughs) trying to remember what the name of ours was where i grew up Uh, because we had one too for like two years a teen club oh yeah but people kept showing up hammered yeah that's the problem because they they don't serve booze they shut that down after after like two years the center that's what it was called the center center. (laughs) yeah a lot of people's first time getting drunk was at that place (laughs) (laughs) and then the times said that they uh they also owned a quote african-american nightclub end quote called click and that's what C-L-I-Q. I was just going to say, it's <laughs> yes. got to be with a Q. <laughs> yes. And probably with a, like an accent no, on the E. Not cl- no, just click. click. And that's what E2 had been up until about 2000. And that's when they switched it over to being E2. Regardless of its ownership and how the owners were described racially coded, potentially, E2 had a history of problems with the city of Chicago and nearby residents, though the source of those problems is contested. So... In July 2002, the city issued a court order against E2 over 11 violations of the city's fire code. Part of this... That's not good. It's not good. Part of this included renovation work, roof trusses, stairwells, and exit lights that weren't up to code. The order was for the second story of the building, right? So they were mm-hmm. not closing Epitome, the, the restaurant. They were saying this, the club was the issue. Um, later... City attorneys would contend that the club was open in violation of that order. In other words, the city said, we told you to shut down in July of 02. You were open against, you were in contempt of court, uh, open against that in February of 03. But Hollins and Kyle's attorneys claimed that the order was not for the club, Mm -hmm. the whole second story, but for the mezzanine within the club, there was like an elevated skybox kind of thing inside the club. So when, you know, they said it was the second story. It wasn't the, the entire. The owners thought it was the second story or said, claimed it was the second story of the club inside. And the city contended that it was the entire second floor of the building. Um, 
I will mention, and this is like very minimal, but in the ABC7 Chicago story, like on the news, the video, they did briefly zoom in on the court order during the story. And like it did mention the second floor mezzanine specifically. Now, maybe that was just one of a laundry list of things. And it talked about other stuff. But there is just a lot of murkiness surrounding whether E2 was legally allowed to be open at the time of the disaster. The owners of the club and the building would say later through their attorneys that it was. The city would say it wasn't. It's kind of surprisingly hard to pin down for sure, which it shouldn't be, but it kind of is. In addition to the fire issues, according to Terry Hillard, the superintendent of the Chicago PD, a cab, but this is part of the story, so... Uh, there had been at least 80 calls about violent incidents at E2 between 2000 and 2003, about which many locals complained and tried to get a petition going to force the club to shut down. Over a three-year span, 80 incidents at, like, a dance club doesn't sound, like, egregious. Sounds normal. <laughs> it's, it's probably an every-night yeah. thing, honestly. I mean, again, who's showing up to these places? Uh, Partiers. Well, people who want to party. Young males. Yeah. You know. Who, of any race, <laughs> Get are fights. not known for yeah. their, yeah. And have egos and are full of piss and vinegar. Although and... it will be interesting, young men don't start this situation. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Twist. Uh, so the was, si- it, was, it, was, it the, was it the old men coming up to sweep up the dance floor? <laughs> Said, hey, get out of my face. <laughs> young, ch- to, young fella. Gotta listen to Dino sing. <laughs> Stop being all rabble rousy. <laughs> the city also went after the club's liquor license, which is kind that's, of... Well, that's the one thing you, you do if you want to shut the place down. But here's what's odd. If they were already ordered to be closed, why go after their liquor license? Like, that's where it gets kind of, like, weird. Were they supposed to be closed or not? But anyway, um, they did suspend the liquor license as recent to the disaster as the month before, January of 03. For the club's part, Kyles said that the city was deliberately harassing E2 and looking for a way to get them shut down because South Loop was starting to gentrify and the club was Uh. not presenting in the way. I mean, I'm not going to dismiss that out of hand, you know? No, not either. Again, New York City has had that problem with certain (laughs) sections that have been over the last decade and a half gentrified and it's like, well, you know, yeah. He, now, Kyle said he had heard that from some of E2's security who were themselves off-duty police officers. Hmm. Although Chicago PD had a policy of disallowing off-duty cops to work in private security. Hmm. So, in addition to all of this context, this is going to feel like it comes out of left field, but it will come into play. There is some national historical context to remember in this case. This was in about, within about a year and a half of September 11th. Yeah. It's hard to contextualize how long the aftermath of 9-11 was, but it was sort of like a series of aftershocks. It was, yeah. Between September 11th and the end of 2001, just like those few months, there was the t- attack on the World Trade Center. There were anthrax attacks right after, then started the war in Afghanistan, then the shoe bomber. <laughs> Like, that all happened within, like, a couple span of, of a couple months. Yep. And then a year later, there was the DC sniper and the, all that. I mean, there basically, was... Basically, the U.S. was in a heightened paranoia state. We were under, like, constant trauma. Yes. Uh-huh. And that will come into play. So, 
Jeez, on yeah. Sunday, February 16th, 2003, it was the day before President's Day. It was a three-day weekend for many, and plenty of patrons went to E2 to party that night because they had the next day off, and a local radio show was hosting a promo event. Like, a lot of details in this story, exactly how many people were there is up for some debate. So, Hollins would later admit that E2 had a legal max capacity of 1,300 people, but routinely had 1,500 to 2,000 people in the club at a time. And this was normal at many other clubs in the area, too. Other owners are like, yeah, we tended to go over capacity, too. And I'm not sure. I'm sure that's not just Chicago. It's plenty of clubs, plenty of places. One of the reasons they talked about was line management. So if your club is strictly enforcing maximum capacity, the bouncers have to, it's like one in, one out, right? They have to keep strict track of attendance. Well, that's why uh, even back then they used to have these little... Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, at a popular club, which of course everyone wants to be, that can mean a long line, like outside, down the street, right? Which poses its own challenges, especially when it's February in Chicago. Oh, fuck yeah. Right? It's not known for a mild February climate. Not hanging it's out there in like shorts right. and a t-shirt. Right. Just chilling. <laughs> and you don't want to lose your patrons by making them wait. I mean, like, I'm not saying it's right to blow You don't want to capacity. literally lose them by having them catch hypothermia and freeze to death. Now, I'm not saying it's cool to go over capacity at all. That's very unsafe. But at the same time, like, this is an understood thing that happened. And if all the club owners do it and know that they do it, the cops know that they do it, too. Oh, for sure. You yeah. know, so... Um, as a result, there's not a great way to estimate the exact number of patrons in E2 that night. Estimates tend to range between, like, 1,100 and 1,500 or more. A couple of yeah. sources gives the capacity of E2 at 240 that I don't necessarily buy. That, that sounds... seems extremely low. Yeah. Hollins himself said that it was closer to 1,300 people. It's 8,000 square feet. Why would there be a capacity of 240? I just, I could not find the primary source for that, and it felt weird. So I kind of don't yeah, the, know that that's accurate. The place that I was talking about, I would guess, probably held around 1,000 people. I mean, you could lose people easily in there. Sure. You'd be having a conversation, like, hitting mm-hmm. on some girl and, like, never <laughs> see her again. Like, and, and you're still in the same fucking space, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it was... And this is also... this. I'm talking about Greenville, South Carolina. Right. This is fucking Chicago. Chicago, yeah. It's a, it's a whole different animal you're dealing and with. And again, the size of the place. Yeah. You can fit more than 200... Safely mm-hmm. fit more than 240 people oh, at 8,000 square feet. And if there's only... And a place that big mm-hmm. is meant... To have, you know, a thousand plus people show up. Right. If there's only 240 people showing up, then that means the club's not that right, hot. Exactly. And people are elsewhere. Exactly. You know? Which, to, to be fair, was another thing that um, uh, that club owners cited. They're like, if we kept a capacity, it would look kind of dead in here. You know? Right, yeah. So, now, again, not saying that was right to go over, but still. Um, and also, like, Hollins was like... He admitted that they went over capacity, but he gave the capacity at 1,300. So unless he was talking about the restaurant plus, but then the restaurant had a capacity of 1,000 people. That's weird. Anyway, that's another one of those things that just feels very murky, and I'm I'm not entirely sure. So Um, it is interesting to note the city of Chicago had no record at all of a capacity placard of E2 on file. You know where they're required to post max capacity? Mm -hmm. 
Um, now that is very odd, considering it definitely had been inspected as well known because they failed the inspection, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, right. uh, so it's like how did you not have yeah. any record of it? So I don't know. That is now, that is odd. There's a lot of shit that's odd about this that just doesn't. Or they could have not just... consistent. I don't know. It, it's hard to tell what's what's what here. We know the the eventual results, but a lot of this is kind of murky. So it's also reminded me when I worked at a Tiernanog. Mm. Um, that place definitely went over capacity on the yeah. weekend for fucking sure. Yeah. And there were only two exits in the place. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think it's incredibly common. Yeah. It's not safe. No, but it's it not safe. It's incredibly common. No. So, and yeah. Anyway, so there is apparently full surveillance footage of oh, that night. Okay. I couldn't find it. Sure. Not that I particularly wanted to no. watch it because it's horrible, but. Just the idea that it could be time-stamped might help for some of this. The difference but... is, at this time, there was no way to really put that Get out, out into the public. There wasn't YouTube in 03, yeah. Um, and the other difference is, the reason that there's footage of the Station Nightclub Fire is it's coming from a television station. Right, they, were, they had they arrived. They had. And, yeah, mm-hmm. um, well, well, even there was a person at the club. Oh, that's right, happening. because they were doing that But they that were story. also part mm-hmm. of a news team doing yeah. doing a news story. On safety. <laughs> right, clubs, on yes. club safety, yes. Um, yes, ironically. So that's why that got out, because mm-hmm. it was already it was already featured on the news. Mm-hmm. So, But yeah, today is surveillance footage. You see it all. Of course. Just put surveillance footage into YouTube. Plus people's phone footage. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. But So I had to rely on descriptions of the video and this map. Now, some this came out right after the disaster, and some of the details are, from what I can tell, a little inaccurate. Yeah, this is a so. fucking gigantic place. It looks like it, right? Yeah. I mean, those are the restrooms. Those yep. aren't tiny. Look at the size so of the bars. Is, yeah. Yeah. There's a VIP cocktail area. There's a area. DJ booth. Yeah. No, it's yeah. a huge place. So, um, and this is the stairwell in question, which we'll get to. Jeez, what do you know? The, the location of the fight happened close to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Close to the DJ booth. That too. too. Yeah. But, um, so. The, the, the Bermuda Triangle of nightclubs. <laughs> between the, the bar, DJ. The DJ booth and the fight. <laughs> so the whole incident was set off at or just after, like around 2 a.m. on Monday, February 17th. And as everyone's mom tells them, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. So there was a fight on the, de- on the floor near the DJ booth. Allegedly between two women who either, depending on the source, got into a fist fight or one was stabbing the other with a box cutter. (laughs) So (laughs) the story varies. Could have been both. But very quickly it becomes irrelevant, right? So that's probably why they don't know. Uh, The security working that night was a contract from a contractor. Envy Entertainment was who provided security. And I can also picture the guy that was... (laughs) Owns that company. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a security guard named Samuel Bone went to break up the fight, which he did by using pepper spray. Oh, oh! I think I See, have like, heard about have this you? because of this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. I have heard of this. Okay. Now, as you can imagine, spraying pepper spray indoors in an enclosed space is much more of an issue than spraying it out of doors. Fucking absolutely. I've never had the experience of... Same. But I've heard that it's fucking awful. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Knock on wood that it never happens. But yeah. Yes, horrible. Um, And it didn't... Obviously, in this enclosed space, it didn't just affect, like, 
these women who are fighting. Oh, it's like everybody in the Anyone area. Anyone nearby, yes, instantly started feeling the effects of it. And they started to panic. Of course. Some witnesses heard people shouting things like poison gas and I'll bet it's bin Laden. Right. That that does, this is the paranoia of that time. That does put into the context that, man, even even we forget about. Mm-hmm. We, we live through it. Mm-hmm. Um, Being paranoid was, about mail because of anthrax and shit. It, yeah. And, I mean, it was all for naught. It, it's of just um, like it usually is. But, um, we know that now, but we didn't know but that But at then. the time, it was just, uh, yeah, there just was a heightened state of... Panic. or um, Fear. Yes. And, well, yes. All that all it has the same, derives from the same place. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of forget about that. But, yeah, that yeah. is what you'd probably think Yes. in February of 2003. Yes. This could have happened anywhere. Yeah. But it's in Chicago, a major city. That's right. You know uh-huh. that, you know that terrorists uh-huh. are going to try to attack that. Mm-hmm. too you know and oh yeah the uh, major cities especially their skyscrapers were mm-hmm. locked the fuck down on 9-11 mm-hmm. after the world trade center so everything was yep some people started throwing up and passing out from the spray because mm. you know it can fuck you up so so the panic grew and people began running for the exit right now 25 year old survivor dion fleming said quote Everybody started gagging and coughing and everybody started running toward the front, end quote. She also recalled that the DJ, like, didn't realize how serious the situation was, which is understandable, right? Like, it's it's kind oh, of all shit, weird and, and off the cuff. There's lights and darkness and yeah, fu- all yeah, kinds of yes. shit. Yeah. And the DJ said, quote, well, next week y'all bring your gas masks, end quote. Because that's, that's their job is to be goofy and DJ, right? right? But... The main problem, as in so many of these incidents, is that there was only one available way in or out of the second story club, a narrow staircase that led to the second floor from the street. Now, people were walking up into the club while other people were running downstairs. Um, And unfortunately, this is exactly what we've seen a billion times in crowd disasters when you have a large number of people attempting to exit, especially in a panic, but not exclusively so. By a single mode of aggress, it is very easy for it to become obstructed, and it only takes the slightest obstacle, obstacle to create a very serious situation in which the crowd simply cannot leave fast enough and a crush begins, which is exactly what happened in this instance. As security guard Brad Hughes later testified, quote, the crowd kept pushing and pushing and somebody stumbled. When they stumbled, that's when the pile got bigger, end quote. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into too much more detail, compressive asphyxiation. I feel like we've talked that to death. I mean, there's a reason when when you're at a concert where there's mosh pits where they says if somebody falls down, pick them up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just get them off the ground Mm -hmm. because somebody will trip over them. Somebody will trip over them. And next thing you know... It takes a second, yeah. split second for things yeah. to go so just, very awry. So if you're ever at a show and you see somebody go down, and you can... Get them up. Get them up mm-hmm. as soon as you can. Instantly, yep. Now, to, to further exacerbate the situation, so this is another point of, like, unsureness and murkiness. The doors in this stairwell opened inward into the club. That was a fire violation. Yep, absolutely. Because Huge you can't just instantly vi- no. just push or crash bar out. Like mm. Victoria Hall, the whole fallout from that was we wow, got Wow, even the crash in 2003 bar. we have these examples. But here's the problem even of that being an issue is that in the foot in pictures and stuff, the doors are wide open. Sure. 
people are caught because of people. Yeah. Not because of the doors. So I'm not sure that the doors were actually the cause of the issue. It was just the single mode of aggress and the panic, the rush. Um, also, there were other exits. Mm. They ended up being largely blocked or obstructed. But the thing is, it didn't really become that pertinent that they were because people just had the natural instinct to go out the way they came. Exactly. So that yeah. was the problem. Not that there weren't sufficient exits. Now, there weren't and there should have been. And that was a problem. And that was a fire code violation. But because of everybody's tendency to come out the way they came in, that that kind of caused the issue, plus overcrowding, plus the decision to deploy pepper spray in an enclosed space, all that stuff, right? So, anyway. Generally, when there's an incident like this, it's because of a series of bad decisions. Yes, yes, and failures, Mm -hmm. systemic failures. So, because you can see here, so this is... This is people, like, literally stuck in this stairwell. And as yep. you can see, the door's open. Mm-hmm. But they're stuck. Because yep. of the obstruction of you'll, themselves and other people. You'll actually see that in the station night called fire mm-hmm. footage, too. Yeah, and then that's just, that's epitome. So the club is mm-hmm. up there, and that's the door. And it's some rescue workers. And then uh, here's the actual stairwell, so you can see how narrow this was. And pretty yep. tall, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, it went up to the second story, so. And... People going going up and down at the same time. Oh yeah, like instant just, it's chaos. Instant yeah. bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Yep. So obviously this entire situation was horrible and terrifying to be caught up in. One survivor, Amashuf Blackwell, said, quote, I felt people grabbing on my legs like, please help me, but I couldn't move, end quote. A man next to him couldn't breathe, so he held the man's head and said, quote, you're going to be all right. Just hold my hand. We're going to get out of here, end quote. The man responded, quote, if I don't make it, tell my mom I love her, end quote. And according to Amashuv, quote, he just let go. That's when I got scared, mm. end quote. Another witness said, quote, man, it was crazy how them people was dropping there right in front of your face and you was helpless because you alive because they've been crushed and there was nothing you could do about it, end quote. That's, I cannot imagine the PTSD of surviving something like that, let no. alone, of course, the horrificness of dying in it. And the reason people can't do anything about it is because they're shoved mm-hmm. in like sardines themselves mm-hmm. and they can't move. Yep. The, so I, you can't, you can't like go down and pick some because you nope. just, you physically just can't. And I'm sure, like, I've said this a thousand times, but that's, like, one of the worst parts of crowd disasters is it's, well, yes, that, but it's accidentally caused by the completely unsuspecting people, right? It's Yeah, it's usually something benign. Right. But also, now, of course, the main issue is that whatever environment they're in is not well designed. That is the main problem. Mm -hmm. They are not the cause of the issue. The design of the area is the cause of the issue, right? It's not like these... Anyone in a crowd disaster, it's not your fault if you're in a crowd disaster. It's the fault of the design of the area because it needs to take all of this into account. Um, But it's horrible to think that just by oh man, I need to get out of here. I can't breathe, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because of of this pepper spray and just your natural instinct, I have to get out of here or I may not survive can actually lead to you not surviving. It's horrible. Yeah. So the first call to 911 came through at 2.24 a.m. reporting a pregnant woman overwhelmed by the pepper spray. 
followed a few more a few minutes later by a similar report that a woman with asthma needed help in the same place. So you can imagine some people were badly affected by this. And also because there have been so many incidents of this place before, the, the mm-hmm. cops and mm-hmm. EMS probably are always within earshot of this place. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So fire rescue showed up at 2.28 a.m. Now, there are some assertions as to the effectiveness of Chicago PD upon their arrival. Jesse Jackson, who we'll get to in a second, he plays a role in this, later questioned whether Chicago PD showed up to E2, quote, in riot mode or rescue mode, end quote. Now, that was an accusation that was echoed throughout the community. Some people reported that cops showed up in riot gear. Um, I couldn't find any pictures of that. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I couldn't find any pictures. Um, there are also reports that Chicago PD, like, showed up to the scene and then just, like, spent most of their initial time, like, crowd con- uh, conducting crowd control on the sidewalk in the street hmm. and not actually helping people. But apparently there are also reports of, like, surveillance footage showing cops helping immediately, trying to pull people out. And it's not as easy as just grab somebody and pull. That's not how you, no, you know. No, it's not. So... No. So that's another murky thing. I mean, like, look, I'm not trying to stand up for the cops, and I'm not going to say that a bunch of white cops aren't going to look at a crowd of black people and maybe think twice. I mean, I know that's being really harsh, but it's happened, so I'm not going to, like, ascribe too much more. Um, It's not outside of the realm of possibility, but at the same time, it is also possible that some of these reports were slightly inflamed or exaggerated. It's hard to tell. And it's very possible given the amount of police that showed up, that both things were happening. There you go. That's also possible. You're absolutely right. Or what looked like people not doing anything was because there literally was not... They couldn't just grab somebody's arm and start pulling. And you also have to get control of the scene outside of a place that big. That's true. So... That's true. You do have to do that, too. Because my buddy James, who's a fire captain Mm now, has Mm -hmm. said that that's part of... The whole rescue and is you have to yep. get the you have to get the Secure whole scene, the scene under control. Absolutely, not because just... it can cause more problems mm-hmm. if you don't exactly. So, some witnesses say the tangle of bodies was stacked six feet high. Jesus Christ! In the end, twelve women and nine men were dead, mm. with at least fifty others injured. The youngest victim was nineteen. The oldest was forty-three. Oh, it's man. a club, so yeah. this was a young crowd. Yeah. Quote, raucous young crowd or whatever. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, 75-year-olds aren't going out to a dance club at 2 a.m. I didn't when I was 43, <laughs> exactly. so I'm like... <laughs> right, like, it's wow. About, it's about the fucking <laughs> last place I wanted to be when I was 43 is at a fucking <laughs> dance club. No thanks. Really sadly, because of the young age of the victims, there was a large and very sad number of young children left without oh, a parent course, after yeah. the crush. It's estimated at between 30 and 36 kids were lost a parent. So, um, Ize Rogers, a 21-year-old woman about to enter nursing school who died in the disaster, left behind a three-year-old daughter, Toriana mm. Cox, and a newborn son. 23-year-old Demetrica Carwell's toddler daughter, Lanisha, lost her mother that night while her uh, her grandmother, so Lanisha's grandmother, uh, Demetrica's mom, Mary, was babysitting for her. Mary said of Demetrica, quote, I told her to be careful and I love her. And that was the last words we said to each other, end quote. 29-year-old victim Deborah Gill was the mother of five kids between the ages of three and 11. Wow. Yeah. So immediately, 
there was contention as to where to point the finger of blame here and, and how much to who for this disaster. So the city of Chicago instantly was like, Dwayne Kyles, Calvin Hollins, you're the problem. Um, but it was also noted that while the city had engaged in penalizing and shutting, well, quote, shutting down, potentially E2. Quote, unquote. Yeah. It had not exactly engaged in what could be considered effective enforcement of those actions. Uh, the city department responsible for the order for E2 to close due to fire code violations admitted they never told the Chicago PD that this club was supposed to be closed, mm. nor did they engage in the police to enforce the closing. Chicago's Corporation Council, Mara George, said, quote, if the city put a padlock on the door, they would have cut off the padlock. If the city put out a sign, they would have cut down the sign. Absent the city being at this property 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is nothing the city could have done, end quote. That is that's, some bullshit. That, I was going to say, that, that seems pretty egregious. Like That's, uh, that's bullshit is what yeah. that is. First of all, did you even try once to padlock it? No. No, you assumed. You, you According to this, like, you're it assuming does, it doesn't matter what matter. we do. They'll... they'll uh, like, like, what? Yeah, it's like, you're speaking <laughs> to these people like they're little kids or something. Right? Yeah. Or, or, or criminals, which is yeah. I, another thing that I feel is kind of racially motivated. Um, well, Chicago doesn't exactly have the uh, best reputation for its police force, now does it? <laughs> I mean, in any decade. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the thing, it, 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 they never even tried to enforce it. So to say, oh, well, we didn't try because it wouldn't have worked. That's bullshit. That is absolute bullshit. Right, and it's also, and, it, and it's, it's also a cop out on yourself. It's literally just kicking the can down the road. It's like, well, not my fault. Right. Not our fault. Even though it is your fault. A hundred percent. Like it's it's your responsibility. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. yeah if and, you if you had, okay, if you had put a lock on the door, mm-hmm. and then you return, you send somebody there six hours later, and they mm-hmm. say, "Hey, somebody cut off the lock," then you arrest them. Exactly. Because what you do, that, that, that's you wait for them to be <laughs> right. you wait for them to be open one night, like very close yeah. to after it it got shut down. Yes. You wait for them to be open. You clear out the joint yeah. and you arrest the management. Right. Bingo. How hard is that? Yeah. And then you padlock the place and you th- and you get those people yeah, through the legal system. Just put up a sign system. like this is under a court order. Yeah. Like, and what you think that? <laughs> it, oh it, no, they're gonna keep what? <laughs> <It's> what? <laughs> it is such bullshit. It's it's horrible. So on the other side, wherever there is a high profile controversy involving the black community. You can bet that one man will show up. Yeah, I mean... It's <laughs> the like... Reverend Jesse Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, I don't know enough about Jesse Jackson to, like, comment on him at all. All I know to say is that for my entire lifetime, that man shows up. <laughs> and he speaks. <laughs> and, and he speaks immediately. Um, I remember when I was a little kid when he ran for president. Yeah, he did. 84, I, I think, think it was 84. Ran. 84 mm-hmm. No, it was 84. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. For some reason, I do remember that. So Jackson alleged that the city's stance against U2 isn't... U2. E2. <laughs> well, I mean, they have a stance... I have a stance yes. against U2, yeah. but uh, they have a stance against Chicago E2. Chicago has too many Irish people to not have a... <laughs> or to have a stance against right. U2. Um, they said that it was an example... He said it was an example of racially motivated action taken against black-owned businesses, which he called a witch hunt. Now... 
as much as like I, I was joking, you know, oh, Jesse Jackson, he's always going to show up. He actually was kind of showing up for a friend in this instance. Also, he lived in Chicago. So he was, oh, okay. he was literally yeah. there. People said he was there at the hospital that night with oh, people, okay. with victims. I know that's where he was from. He's not. So I looked, he's not, he's from Greenville. He was born in Greenville. North or South? South. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I, I now I don't know how long he lived there, whatever, but he was in Chicago for a very long time. He might still be, I, th- I think he's still alive. Maybe that's right? where he came up. I don't know. I think he's still I think alive. He's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's quite old, but, sure. <laughs> but Dwayne Kyle's, this is, this blew my mind and it timed up perfectly for when this, this episode is coming out. This episode is coming out on Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the U.S. Dwayne Kyle's father was... So the owner of E2, his father was Reverend Samuel Billy Kyles, whose decades of civil rights action and leadership are often boiled down to the single fact he witnessed the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from a few feet away. For the record, I cannot believe I didn't know this. Jesse Jackson was at, was present. I didn't didn't know know that. Oh, really? I did not. MLK was talking to him when he got shot. Yeah, Jesse Jackson at that time was, I think he was like 21 or 22 oh, he or something really like hung, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's kind of how he wound up being like the next, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, he has a long history of civil yeah. rights leadership as mm-hmm. well, yes. But that's how he kind of wound up being in the forefront later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this all taught me that I need to learn a whole lot more about Dr. King's assassination. Which I should remedy by buying another book, because I don't think there's there's actually some space in here potentially for another book. There's only two hundred fifty. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so Jesse Jackson wasn't just popping up because, you know, this this was an incident. He he actually was related to this incident it, it, by sure. it being local and by him knowing uh, Dwayne Kyles. So. Charges were brought against Kyle's, Holland's, Holland's son, and Marco Flores, who was the promoter at the time. So they were all involved in the, um, either the ownership, operation, or promotion of the club, basically. They were charged with involuntary manslaughter. Um, and in 2007, Holland's and Kyle's were convicted of criminal contempt for failing to close the club for those violations. Mm. But Holland's... Holland's son and Flores were acquitted of involuntary manslaughter. And then the charges for involuntary manslaughter against Kyle's were dropped after that. So Mm. they were convicted. uh, uh, Kyle's and Holland's were convicted of uh, They were essentially convicted of having the the place open. Yes. When they shouldn't have. But all involuntary manslaughter charges were were either dropped or they were... That's actually kind of surprising. Well, the judge was like, there is not sufficient evidence that they should actually be held responsible for this. Um, Hollins and Kyle's were initially sentenced to two years in prison, but in November 2013, the Illinois Court of Appeals overturned the conviction. Oh, okay. Um, here. That's Hollins and Kyle's. Okay. I'm sure they're smiling because they, they got yes. out of prison. <laughs> yes. They weren't in prison, <laughs> not because they're happy that people died, you know, just for the, the record, but, um, and they, like, I didn't put this in here, but like, they were quoted... Uh, especially Kyle's, like, right after they talked to victims, families, and survivors and stuff. Like, it kind of seemed like 
at the very least, Kyle's wasn't just like some club owner not caring about the community. He actually seemed relatively involved in the black community in Chicago and seemed devastated at what happened. Obviously, mm. Like, he wasn't trying to make this happen. Nobody no, was. of course not. Um, but anyway. In November 2015... No, that does not mean he should have had that club open, but... In November 2015, Hollins and Kyles each got two years of probation and 500 hours of community service through a plea deal with the district attorney, um, and much to the chagrin of Howard and Mary Ray, whose 24-year-old son, Deshand Ray, died at E2. Their main problem was not... And they... Um, Howard and Mary are kind of like... Because a lot of 20th anniversary retrospectives ran last year. Sure. Um, and they're kind of the face of the families. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... Which we'll, we'll get to in a second. Um... But they, their, their main issue was not that Kyle's and Holland sort of, you know, got away with just probation and community service, but who exactly was to blame? Howard said, quote, it's not a closure. I feel like the wrong people are being blamed. They had something to do with it, but why just them? There's enough blame to go around, yeah. end quote. The city's uh, city attorneys indicated that they had spoken with some of the victims' families, and the victims' families didn't really have much interest in like sending these guys away to prison. They so that's why the DA went ahead and avoided jail time in the deal. They also commented that the idea was to be heavy on the community service aspect. Five hundred hours that's is a lot not, of time. That's, yeah, that's 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 yeah. You know, so that was kind of the, the, the idea with that. Um, and that may have also shown that the victims' families weren't sold on Hollins and Kyle's re- really being the ultimate, like, only people responsible for this. And Angel Rogers, Eze Rogers' sister, who died, said, We felt, quote, we felt like the city was responsible for their deaths, but the city just tried to throw it off and blame it on the nightclub owners. The city was at fault, too, because the city knew that this place was supposed to be closed, end quote. Um, unfortunately, that was never an avenue the families or survivors were allowed to pursue for very long. In 2008, an appellate court ruled the city was immune from liability in the disaster, hmm. which I think is some bullshit. Because I do think the city had a lot of liability in this, especially given their stance of the whole stupid thing that that one attorney said about like oh they would have just cut the padlock well, like, yeah i you. mean there was yeah there were certain things that they could have done for sure yes mm-hmm. um as of february 2023 so as of the 20th anniversary there was one remaining wrongful death suit pending in the federal court system bought by the ray family uh brought by the ray family howard is a vietnam combat vet who retired early from his job with the state of illinois just to pursue accountability for the death of his son and he's still doing it like 20 Hmm. years later trying according to the city of chicago's buildings department council building closures are now fully reported throughout city departments including police and fire departments as of last year the e2 building has not been occupied and has been vacant since that night Wow, and that's that, a my long, friend, uh, uh-huh, was the story of the E2 nightclub disaster. Wow. Yeah, I specifically, as soon as you brought up the pepper spray, I was like, oh, yeah. You kind of remembered mm-hmm. that. Because well, that would have be- been... Well, because... Um, age-wise, in your wheelhouse, probably. Yeah, and also, like, pepper spray had become, like, within that last decade, like a 
somewhat quote unquote non lethal like tool mm-hmm. like police and like regular people would use and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, in a confined space, uh-huh. it's highly lethal. Yeah. You know, because well not not it's not like getting shot. Right. But you know, it's not it's certainly not non lethal in a con- confined space. Well and if you think about it, like especially the the first nine one one calls that came in, there was a pregnant woman mm-hmm. and there was someone with asthma. With asthma, yeah. So now, an average healthy person could get pe- sprayed with pepper spray, suffer, it would be horrible, but live and be okay, yeah. ultimately, other than the traumatic experience. <laughs> yeah. But there are people who would not necessarily be okay, no. who could get, if you're as, if you have asthma and you get pepper sprayed. Oh, pepper sprayed? sprayed? Yeah. You, you, I, yeah. Unless you've got like some emergency inhale, something, and I don't even know that that would do it, that I, I could see that being lethal, yeah. you know? So to be a security guard in a room full of people thinking that it was okay. Now, I am also not saying that I think that security guard should have, like, gone to jail or anything. I think the no, whole situation just, was exacerbated by many factors. Yes. Um, Again, it was it was a series of bad decisions. And I don't think jail time was even necessarily the right answer to anything. It really is, like, change the way the city enforces this shit. And really all it did was change, oh, don't worry, we now tell the Chicago PD when we close down a place, which I guess is more than they did before. Yeah. But it's just... But, th- but that came up, but what wound up coming out of this, I remember, is um, pepper spray becoming less and less of a tool because mm. people realized... It's not as safe as it sounds. Right, and yeah. this is also when tasers became less mm-hmm. popular because... There, do you there remember, are effects of those. And... Do you remember those fucking viral videos back in the day of people getting tased? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now Jeez. they go and now they go to things like rubber bullets, yeah. which they call uh, less lethal. I mean, you Doesn't could, mean they're not lethal. I mean, you can still, you can still catch one <laughs> yeah. in the eye and it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. But if you catch one, like, in the arm, you know, you'll be fine. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, like, you know, or, I mean, cops have used uh, uh, paintball guns and stuff. Paint, uh, yeah. If anybody's hurts. ever played paintball, if you get hit by one, it fucking hurts. Yeah. Like, your body is all bruised up the next yeah. day. But, uh... Yeah, I just, but what a fucking... I mean, just... I mean, what an absolute horrible. fucking disaster. Well, and it's... I think it's also really sad that... And maybe it's just me. Maybe lots of people re- have heard of and remember this disaster. But I think that it's proximity to the Station Nightclub disaster. Like, d- it didn't erase it, but it made it less recalled you know well it, the death it, toll was higher it mm-hmm. was a bunch of white people in Hyatt station you know i think it got more coverage overall mm-hmm. and kind of yeah, I mean, eclipsed it, this disaster there were so many factors to make the uh station nightclub more mm-hmm. famous yes you had mm-hmm. it involved a band right that had a huge hit right <laughs> at some point in their career right I didn't even know, like, when they, I remember when it happened, and I'm like, I didn't know Great White was still together touring. Like, <laughs> what, are right. they just going to play that one song and right. leave? Like, is, mm-hmm. does anybody else know any of the songs? There was also a direct action that caused the fire. Yes. There were um, clear issues with, you know, blocked fire exits or locked fire exits. Um, and it was a large death toll. A hundred people is yeah. a lot of people. Not that 21 people's not. No. It, like even one person died and the, and and the like injuries this, were pretty bad like yeah. seemingly everybody unless you got out in like the first five seconds seemingly everybody else was injured or and there was on deceased. the spot footage that was mm-hmm. very compelling oh, God, so yeah. 
all of that, I mean, it, it makes, quote, sense that that would, like, kind of be focused on. But I, um, again, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm being weird. But I just felt like a lot of red flags in this story that basically, like, the reason this isn't I mean, taken there... in the same way is not... Not just because, not going to say just because, but I do think that there's a racial element to it. And that's, and the way the media covers um, disasters that happen. It's it's an interesting thing because I don't know that we've necessarily discussed it, you know, like race in disasters. I think we've discussed to some extent, um, and, and how they get covered. I think we've talked to some extent about like developing, Big nations, disasters aren't taken as seriously in, you know, um, developed nations and stuff like that. But, um, I, I mean, unfortunately, especially in America, race colors everything. It's 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 just baked into, unfortunately, it's baked into who we are, and it's 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 really sad. And I think this is, in my opinion, this is an example of how specifically in a disaster it kind of came into play in the coverage of it. And potentially in the response to it, there are certainly some allegations as to that. I don't know that I feel comfortable saying for sure, but that's just because a lot of this, a lot of the details surrounding this were, a, a lot of it was like breaking news type articles, which of course mm. they're not going to be completely accurate because they're just going yeah. off initial reports, right? But then... Like, even some of the after, like, the retrospectives and stuff didn't feel very complete. And some of the information felt a little weird. Like, the, the club capacity was 240 people. It just yeah, felt weird. Yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't feel like there was a basis for some of this stuff. I'm not saying that they were deliberately lying about anything. I just think that it wasn't super clear where the some some of the sources of this information was and there are people in the black community of chicago who fully say you know the cops didn't do jack shit and they showed up in riot gear and stuff and i'm sure not comfortable saying oh no that's not how it happened because i don't fucking know i wasn't exactly. there you know i do think what, there's what, a racial element to this though what did happen was just again something that could have been avoided mm -hmm. a bunch of people who would have been turning 40 now yeah, people true, my yeah. age mm -hmm. and um up to what the oldest person would have been turning 64 yeah so mm. and and um all these one of the saddest things was in the retrospectives like the tw 20 year look back reports they interviewed a lot of the kids of these people oh, sure. who are now themselves like the age their parents oh, yeah, were when they exa died yeah, exactly. and they're like yeah i kind of remember my mom at age three you know so it was really sad but Thank you, Jeremy, for recommending yes. that because I, I don't think I would have heard of that otherwise. I think that that was how I heard of it was from from Jeremy, and it's a really sad story. I mean, crowd disasters I think might be the worst. They <laughs> are I'm not sure they're all the worst. But... Well, a fire is also a crowd disaster in my opinion. Well, especially how it ends up a lot of the time, yeah. And mm -hmm. they are. It's just because there's going to be suffering involved, mm -hmm. and those are the stories that we we have to tell. You know, because that's important to know that mm -hmm. somebody went through that. Mm -hmm. But it also sucks to know that somebody went through that. Yeah. And we can only hope that we never will have to experience that. Or anyone we love. Or, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Knock, knock. On particle board. <laughs> so, that was the E2 nightclub disaster. 
This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We will see you next week.